0: everybody. We're here today for oral argument. Uh, We've got uh, six cases. We're going to begin with appeal 22-2655. This is Chen versus Yellen. Uh, We're going to begin with oral argument from Mr. Greco.
1: May it please the court, your honor, counsel, and the clerk. My name is Michael Greco, and I represent the plaintiff appellant, Fiona Chen. This is a civil rights violation case, as the District Court, Judge Johnston, pointed out, uh, a prior iteration of the case resolved any employment discrimination cases. So what remains, and Judge Johnston did dismiss the claims with prejudice, is uh argument for a 1980 uh, uh, 42 USC section 1985 subsection 3 claim of conspiracy to violate civil rights and uh, arguably a malicious prosecution under state court the uh, uh, the first Amendment complaint is inartfully pleaded it, it, that's that would be a significant understatement it's it is difficult to read in parts and um, and somewhat lengthy it does however set forth the basic allegations of a a racial animus that the appellant submits that she was subjected to by the defendants
0: mr greco i'd be interested in your thoughts on whether there's a statute of limitations issue here and if there is when the statute of limitations may have um, begun to run
1: The statute of limitations may have begun to run quite a while ago. Ms. Chen did first learn of the TIGTA investigation in in 2009. Um, She did not know that it was ongoing. She learned that it was ongoing. She alleges in her complaint in 2018 through 2020. The, this case was filed, I believe, in 2021. And the 2020, court, I think. Yeah.
0: Pardon me. 2020, I think.
1: 2020. Yeah. Sorry, Judge. Yes. And uh, the, uh, the the argument that we would have is the discovery rule as well as waiver. The, the statute of limitations has not been explicitly um, pleaded. I don't believe in the in, in this well, not before this court It was not addressed by the district court. Um, but uh, the discovery of the, the potential ongoing investigation within the TIGTA arm of the Treasury Department and subsequently the ECHO, that's another acronym within the Treasury Department, was not discovered by Ms. Chen until 2018 through 2020 in discovery of the original iteration of the Chen case.
0: Mr. Greco, what's um, Ms. Chen's best argument that she survives a motion to dismiss under 12B-6, not 12B-1?
1: Right. Under 12B-6, the best argument is she put forth the allegations of her differential race, her differential national origin. She alleged that she's Asian American and that she is Chinese American, and she alleged that she was the only person of those groups in the a work group that she was working with for the department of treasury and that on, on that basis said that the, the the an argument that what could be proved we submit under the allegations of the complaint is that the treatment that she received and the the exchange of confidential information between the nteu steward with her with Ms. Chen's the superiors and co-workers, Jamie Kilbnick and Gail Trier and, and um, Rebecca Solano, was targeted to her on the basis of her race and national origin, which is Asian and Chinese American. That, that's the best argument that I Mr. I'm... Greco, uh, yes, <clears throat> the district court entered a judgment on a motion for summary judgment. I believe that the district... That was an would, error. Right. That was an error, yes, Judge. Yeah. Well, Did either party move to correct that error? Neither party moved to correct the error. It, it's clear, Your Honor, from the text of the memorandum opinion of opinion and order that the Judge Johnson was addressing a 12B6 motion. So do you, motion. Is, this a, is this just a harmless error? I, I would submit that it's a harmless error. Thank you. Yes so in any event we we submit that, with the allegations of the ongoing investigation of Ms Chen within an arm of the Department of Treasury ongoing and never concluded, according to her allegations that and her allegation that she had an adverse effect on her ability to reapply or regain employment within the Treasury Department, that she has made the gist of a constitutional claim as to the deprivation of that um, potential avenue of employment, that property interest. And so th- that is a, a, as best I can frame it under Ashcroft versus Sitball, Bell Atlantic versus Tompkins. Uh, we, we believe that it's, um, again, in our fully pleaded, no question about it, but we submit that it's, it's been put forth. As for the malicious prosecution, that also is a problematic argument because as Judge Johnson observed, much of the post-employment conduct that's set forth in the amended complaint is obviated by the fact that, that, well, is is negated in effect legally by the fact that there never was a criminal prosecution of ms chen so there's there's no question that's a barrier as to the fourth amendment claims there was no seizure uh, no arrest and the fifth and sixth amendment amended, uh, sixth, fifth and sixth amendment claims both of which presuppose uh, criminal prosecution and involvement of criminal process i submit that it's a matter of state court state court does recognize malicious prosecution for either a criminal proceeding or a civil proceeding there was no judicial proceeding as Judge Johnson observed against Ms. Chen. However, the ongoing uh, maintenance of an investigation against her, even if it never ripens into an actual, uh, an actual uh, case before an agency or a, a case in the courts, is arguably a civil proceeding on which they, it, it's, a, it's, it's a non-criminal Civil event or or set of circumstances which could which could cause her harm. It could cause her the inability again to regain regain her employment with the Treasury Department. But um, that I, I can see that's a, a less persuasive argument. I couldn't find compelling case law to support that. But primarily, we maintain that under 1985 um, subsection three that the Allegations of the amended complaint put forth that there was a conspiracy and it was targeted to Ms. Chen, that at least in part based on her national origin and her the racial background, which is uh, Chinese, American, and Asian, and uh, different from all of her other co-workers, as she alleged, and that we have the gist of a constitutional claim concerning that conspiracy.
0: Would, Mr. Greco, would any of Ms. Chen's claims against um, some of the other government employees fall under the rubric of unfair labor practice versus just a claim by her against them in an individual capacity?
1: Uh, that argument, was, I mean, that certainly was found by Judge Johnson. We submit that the conspiracy claim against Lesha Pana pa- in particular that's alleged is not strictly... A, a failure of the duty of, uh, or a violation of the duty of fair representation or an unfair labor practice, the confidentiality of communications which Ms. Chen had with Lester Pinto it, it directed to her um, activities, directed to the actions that she was being subjected to and, and pursuing on her own, um, were intended to be cons- confidential as alleged in the complaint and the breach of that confidentiality. It's not, although it would certainly support a violation of the duty of fair representation, that it's not the exclusive remedy for that. I submit, I, I submit that it would not be, it would not preempt inclusion of Lesha Panapinto as a defendant in a 1985 a subsection 3 conspiracy argument. So, that uh, on on those bases we believe that there is the the gist of a claim put forth in the complaint as alleged by Ms. Chen the amended complaint as alleged by Ms. Chen and I don't believe that those were all entirely uh, comprehensively addressed by Judge Johnston and to the extent that we were we submit that the complaint merits another look or leave to amend
0: very good would you like to reserve the remainder of your time
1: I'll reserve the remainder of the time, if I may, Judge.
0: Yes, Take you care. may. Thank you, Mr. Greco. We're now going to move to oral argument from Ms. Horn.
2: May it please the court. I'm Jessica Horn, counsel for the NTU employees. And for these first three minutes, I'll be arguing that the district court should have dismissed Ms. Jen's claims against the NTU employees for lack of subject matter jurisdiction instead of her failure to state a claim. That's because Ms. Chen's claims against her, uh, against the NTU police, her claims that uh, Lesha Panapinto, her union steward, disclosed confidential information about her, and her claims that her other NTEU reps failed to adequately serve her interests, amount to claims for breach of the duty of fair representation. Under the Civil Service Reform Act's comprehensive scheme of administrative and limited judicial review, Congress channeled review of such claims exclusively to the Federal Labor Relations Authority and it would frustrate Congress's scheme to allow Ms. Chen to circumvent FLRA review simply by labeling her claims as civil rights violations or malicious prosecution. Now the District Court declined to dismiss on subject matter jurisdiction grounds in part because Ms. Chen did not explicitly list a breach of the duty of fair representation among the counts in her complaint. But as the First Circuit said in Montplazier versus Layton, uh, the court should look at Conduct being regulated and not the formal description of the legal claims, those are just window dressing. Here, the conduct that Ms. Chen complains is illegal is conduct that is regulated by the CSRA. The CSRA describes a union's duty of fair representation in 5 USC, Section 7114A1, as the duty to represent the interests of employees in the unit without discrimination. Here, Ms. Chen claims that the NTEU epilees acted against her interests and instead serve the interests of her managers. And she claims that her NTEU reps were motivated by racial discrimination. These are claims that the CSRA scheme channels to the FLRA. And in fact, other courts that have confronted claims, just like Ms. Chen's civil rights claims under 42 USC sections 1985 and 1986, have viewed those claims as duty of fair representation claims, dressed up as something else, and have dismissed them as precluded by the CSRA.
0: Ms. Horn, do you want to be heard on that statute of limitations question? Um, or you, you can defer to counsel, however you want to handle it
2: i think i'll defer to uh my co-counsel on that issue um <clears throat> as the statute of limitations is a i think a 12b6 issue um, i'm addressing the jurisdictional gotcha. issues here uh and so in addition to um noting that ms chen did not explicitly list the, a breach of the duty of fair representation among the counts in her complaint um, the district court also observed that Chen repeatedly asserted that her case addresses only the time after she resigned from the IRS. Uh, but if you look at the specific allegations against uh, the MTU defendants in particular, everything suggests that she is trying to revive and relitigate her uh, the events that led to her the TIGTA investigation in 2007 and her resignation in 2008. And I will defer to. Co counsel on the remaining issues?
0: Thank you very much, Ms. Horn. We'll now hear from Ms. Mallory. Good
3: morning. Good morning. May right. it please the court, counsel, counsel. In this case, Chen's complaints specifically and in Crux alleges that she was subjected to a criminal investigation that began in 2007. She resigned in 2008, and that investigation continued from that time until now in secrecy. She alleges she was maliciously prosecuted when she was referred to TIGTA in 2007 for that investigation, which was into her work conduct, um, and that thereafter. Uh, the investigation even though it didn't give rise to a criminal prosecution uh, she nevertheless because she was subject potentially to a criminal prosecution that she was being maliciously prosecuted the district court properly concluded that the key allegations necessary to support her claim were not plausible her allegation about a secret criminal investigation reflected unsupported and irrational speculations and conclusions and the district court although it, more directly than, than I was able to do, saw within the complaint that he could move aside all of the allegations about employment discrimination or that related to the previous case and focus in on the counts in this case. He did not, I do not believe, accept the findings of that in the previous case as the findings in his case. What he did do after he moved, moved aside those employment discrimination allegations and focused in on the allegations with respect to the actual counts alleged Fifth Sixth Amendment violations, Section 1985-3 violation, and malicious prosecution claims. He focused in on the, the allegations that were not subject to reasonable dispute, the facts that were not subject to reasonable dispute. And admittedly, the prior litigation has some play in that. The conclusions that the district court uh, drew from Ms. Chen's allegations and his analysis of their plausibility are that her, her allegations were not plausible and in some cases frivolous. With respect to the Fifth Amendment claim, the court found that no uh, criminal proceeding was ever commenced against Ms. Chen, a fact that was not dis- disputed by her in her complaint at paragraph 125. She concedes that point. And also in her response to the uh, federal defendant's motions to dismiss, she conceded that she had not been prosecuted. She did not suffer a sixth, sixth Amendment violation because having not been prosecuted, her Sixth Amendment rights had not yet been activated. There was no criminal proceeding with which for her to assert those rights. Nor could she pursue a malicious prosecution claim absent of prosecution, an element that is required of a malicious prosecution claim. Counsel, in argument, I, I believe in response to a question from the court, uh, raised that the state malicious prosecution law might allow uh, a claim for an ongoing investigation against her uh, as a qualifying proceeding. Um, that was not raised in the briefing, so we have not looked into that to, to respond to that, but I don't believe the law is strong on that, that case. I believe that there has to be some sort of proceeding, and, and perhaps it can be a civil proceeding, but this, this investigation is not a proceeding. If that were true, then virtually any investigation undertaken by an organization, a government agency, uh, a law enforcement entity, would be something that you could bring a malicious prosecution claim just because the investigation is ongoing. And that seems untenable. Finally, with respect to Ms. Chen's section 1985 three conspiracy claim, it's not supported by a non-frivolous and plausible allegation about class-based animals. What she does is she alleges that she, as an Asian American, is subject to what is a generalized uh, animus in society, generally speaking. She does not point to any conduct by the defendants specifically with respect to her nationality. Instead, she tries to group them with respect to their nationality or their religious affiliations and say because that subgroup, in her opinion, has some animus toward the Asian race, that they therefore have that same animus. And that's what motivated them to proceed for now 15 years pursuing a secret investigation. With respect to a loss of any liberty under the Fifth Amendment or any of her other claims, it's a secret investigation according to her allegations. She doesn't know about it. Counsel argues that her damage is the adverse effect on her ability to apply for federal employment or to reapply to this particular agency. But two things, she did not know that she was under this secret 15-year investigation that she alleges. She also did not allege that she ever made an attempt to apply for a position and was rejected. So those allegations, those two allegations are highly speculative and not, they do not merit the court accepting them as plausible allegations to support the claims.
0: Ms. Mallory, do you want to speak to that statute of limitations question? Thank you.
3: I will. Um, I do recall raising it in the district court. I did not re- re- raise the argument in this court. In the district court, our position was, as counsel mentioned, she learned in 2009. It's, it's within her allegations of the complaints. Clearly out there, she concedes that in 2009, <coughs> During the EEO part of the case, she learned that there was a TIGDA investigation, and that was the first that she heard of it. She did make an inquiry to an agency counsel about that and was assured that it was not criminal, it was civil, and it was closed. She disputes that now based on what she says she learned in 2018 and 2020 during the discovery of the case. Uh, The federal defendants are the only ones involved in that case. We do not agree that she learned of this that late. This was something that was known throughout the case. The documentation that she refers to was produced earlier in the case, earlier than 2020, 2018 even. But that's something that was addressed in the district court. It is not part of our briefing right now. We did not re-raise that. We do believe we have a strong statute of limitations argument, whether it would have been resolvable on a motion to dismiss without. Accepting some sort of fact in the Chen One case as a finding of fact in this case, which might not be proper, I don't know that we would have necessarily succeeded. But it is an issue to be raised if the the court decides to uh, send this case back down and allow an amended complaint. Unless there are further questions.
0: No, thank you very much, Ms. Mallory.
3: Thank you. We asked the court for the district court's decision. Thank
0: you. Mr. Greco, we'll go back to you for rebuttal.
1: May I please support your honors. The the fact that the statute of limitations was uh, not picked up by Judge Johnston in the uh, in the final memorandum decision of, and order, and was not deemed dispositive by the, uh, that able judge in dealing with this case in the district court. Does tend to lend color to uh, Ms. Chen's allegation that she did not know that the TIGTA investigation, which she first heard about in 2009, was actually kept open into 2018 and 2018 and beyond. She actually avers that she never <clears throat> learned that the, the that the TIGTA investigation had been closed, which she submits is a, a contrary to what she had been informed. She she alleges that she was informed that she would receive notice once the investigation was closed. So, and the uh, the, the allegations of the complaint do support that, it, tenuous as it seems. We submit that that her her efforts, which aren't unfortunately set forth in the amended complaint. To uh, regain employment with the Treasury Department or with any federal agency may have been impeded by the ongoing investigation under take the or under Echo, the other investigative agency within the Treasury Department. So, for that reason, we don't believe that the statute of limitations would um, would be dispositive of the claims currently pending or, or currently ad- advanced. Before the district court and now on an appeal before this court, um, again the statute of limitations can be waived. The, um, it, it's a apparent that the government deemed it uh, the, quite a long way to go uh, as far as digging into all the facts concerning discovery of the ongoing uh, the, the ongoing investigation and framing that for a 12B motion based on statute limitations before the district court would would have been too cumbersome, and they elected to. Goes straight at the fact that there was not a criminal prosecution, and that's that's understandable. That that's fine. It appears it obviously it was efficient, but as far as um, the state law is, it's um, accurately recorded by the swearing in L versus Mick decision of this court, and it, under state law for malicious prosecution, a, a civil proceeding can also be subject of a malicious prosecution claim so that we uh, the uh, again i haven't found the case law that specifically includes an internal agency investigation in the rubric of a civil proceeding the uh, judge johnson concentrated on the absence of a judicial proceeding but we submit that there is potentially some merit to that but Overall, uh, in responding to the lack of jurisdiction argument um, made by my opponent from the NTEU, the the argument that that Lesha Panapinto's conduct in, in relating confidential information to Jamie Kilnick and other individual defendants employed by Treasury Department would be stripped away from the 1985-3, subsection 3, jurisprudence, because it's all going to be under the duty of fair representation, we submit that that is not conclusively put forth by the section cited by counsel or the, by the case law that I've seen. So we do submit that uh, Lesha Pana, Pana pinto, if no one else from the NTEU um, union defendants, should be subject to liability, or it should be held to answer an amended complaint or this complaint, in the if the case were remanded for the conspiracy to violate civil rights. If, if there's no questions, we thank would you ask. very much, Mr. Greco. Thank you, Judge. Thank uh, you,
0: Ms. Horn. Thank you, Ms. Mallory. The case will be taken under advisement.